Numbers chapter 17. In number 17, we have a demonstration of God's selection, God's choosing as to who will serve in the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was just a tent structure set up as they traveled in the wilderness. And it's a kind of a peculiar way that God makes known his selection. God will cause Aaron's rod to bloom and bear ripe almonds. Each leader from the tribe of Israel was to bring a rod, simply an almond branch with no little branches, just an almond stick more or less, and they're to bring it to Moses. And so you have 12 rods that uh, Moses will take into the tabernacle of meeting and then he will go back the following morning. And when he goes back the following morning, the only rod that is blooming is Aaron's rod. And this is God's way of saying, I choose Aaron of the tribe of Levi. But it not only bloomed this rod, it produced ripe almonds overnight. <clears throat> And this is a sign to all of Israel that God has chosen Aaron to be priest. The blooming of Aaron's rod should be proof enough to Israel that Aaron is to be priest. And God is doing a supernatural miracle by having a rod, a tree branch, removed, separated from the tree to bloom and produce ripe almonds. Now, I know a little bit about almonds. I were an almond farmer for a little while. <laughs> Back in beautiful California that is now stricken by drought. But anyway, and you prune almonds when they go dormant every winter. And I have seen branches that have been cast aside laying on the ground for probably two months. And then when spring would come, they would bloom this branch with no root base whatsoever would bloom. But of course, uh, when the sun would get warmer in the spring, they would wilt and die. But I have never seen any branch, any rod produce ripe almonds that has been separated from the tree. Dead, separated branches, rods do not bear ripe almonds. That process takes about eight months. And it takes a lot of water and a lot of care from the farmer to bear almonds. Aaron's rod is budding. And not only budding, it's producing ripe almonds overnight. And that is basically what chapter 17 is about. Wasn't that a good chapter? Chapter 17. But I want you to look at a verse in particular in chapter 18, and uh, that's verse 7 of chapter 18 in Numbers. And I'll read that verse for you. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. 
but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. We have God given the priesthood to the Levites, and it's a gift of service. Only when we serve others are we truly free from this prison of selfishness. You look at a person and you can see sometimes that they're depressed and they're down, and usually that person is consumed with themselves. You can become consumed with yourself, you're in line for depression. In chapter 16 of Numbers, however, we have seen how God deals with Israel instantly. Korah, you know the story of Korah, we just covered it, and his family have been, been killed by the earth opening up and swallowing them alive and then closing back up over them. And this is God doing it. He created a new thing. And then the, the fire comes out from God and kills 250 more that the earth didn't swallow up. And then the next day, a plague comes upon Israel when they begin to murmur and complain about Moses and Aaron. The very next day, 14,700 are destroyed before Aaron can get in there and make atonement for their sins. God is quick with his anger on Israel at this time. They sin, they're punished. They sin, they're punished. And there's no big delay between the two. Israel is facing instant judgment from God, and this happens three times in a row within three days. But I want you to turn to Galatians 6, chapter 7, uh, Galatians 6, verse 7 through 10. And we looked at this last week. But I think the Lord would have me continue looking at these verses. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. These are not casual words by the Apostle Paul, because what Paul is saying God will not be mocked. Israel in the wilderness has tested God. They've tested God's patience, and they've done it time and time again, and this is, in essence, a mocking of God. They're mocking the authority of God, his power, his goodness. And it's amazing to me, in today's world, how we reject and see to the rejection of Jesus. There is an absence of fear before God. And unfortunately, that creeps over into his church. 
into the Christian body of today. There are some churches that do not even teach from the Old Testament. They do not want to be mentioning God's judgment on sin. So they just stay away from the Old Testament and only teach from the New Testament. And that brings about no fear among many churches, many people who attend church, of failing to see that God will judge sin. One of the greatest sermons ever recorded was how dangerous it is to fall into the hands of an angry God. But scripture tells us, fear God, it's the beginning of wisdom. And the Christian church today, in my humble opinion, is being deceived to think God no longer judges sin. These verses in Galatians tell us, tell us right up front, God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. You sow to the flesh, you sow into the pleasures of sin, you're going to reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you also will reap, but you reap everlasting life when you sow into the spirit. So he who knows God's word, and really, that's all of us, we know it enough, we're encouraged by the Holy Spirit as he speaks through Paul. And Paul says, do not grow weary while doing good. We can become discouraged when we don't get enough thank yous or recognitions for what we're doing. And it's good for us to come together as a body of believers. Because when we come together as a body of believers, we can encourage one another and talk to each other about what we're going through and pray with one another. That's what a body does. But you know, we can circle the wagons mentally by thinking, I will take care of me and mine and let the rest fend for themselves. The deception Paul speaks of is not to take advantage of the opportunities we have to do good. We're called to do good works. But Paul gets specific. He's, he's not just going to throw that out there. He greatly narrows that down and he says who we are to be good to. We are to be good or do good, especially to those who are in the household of faith. That's us. That's you and I. Now, I'm quick to take care of my own. I think a lot of men, a lot of us want to be known as good providers and that kind of thing. But I'll take care of my children and I'll take care of my grandchildren. But my deception comes when I don't seize the opportunity to care or do good for those in the body of Christ. We can willfully stay in the dark. We can be willfully ignorant about the needs of the body of Christ. Here in America, and I'm speaking in general terms, 
we have been greatly blessed by our Lord financially. And by the world standards, Christians of America are very wealthy. Now, I'm going to give you a little news, a little news up front. George and Luann, missionaries that we have supported for, in Africa for 10 years, they're coming home this summer. They're coming back from Africa. They've been over there, excuse me, they've been serving, and they come home broke. They have spent all of their life savings, cashed in their 401ks, to help support themselves while they've been in Africa. Now they're coming home, and they don't have work or a job, and they don't have any savings to speak of. And George and Lewin, they've been good stewards of the money. They're very frugal. We've, we've witnessed this up close and personal. I have never seen them be wasteful with any of their resources. Fire me back up. <laughs> and if they're listening, they'll just have to guess what I said. But let me attempt to bring this full circle. We have the commands by God that only the privileged and the mega wealthy are privileged outside of Christians. The opportunities offered to us as believer goes beyond what the mega wealthy of this world have. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Ex-President Jimmy Carter are charitable, giving men. They're humanitarians. They're men with tremendous resources and power. And they basically have more money than they can spend. But these men look outside of themselves to find meaning for life. And they do it by serving others through their charities. But their lifestyle doesn't change. They still live their affluent lifestyle. But they give. And they give tremendous amounts of money. But they give to make themselves feel better. Now let me tell you a little story. It's a sad story. I personally know a good, moral, Christian man who is even older than I am. That's getting up there. This man had parents who pampered him and took care of him in life. After he served in the Army, this man moved back in with his parents when he came home, and he held a job for about 10 years throughout his working career. He always had an excuse for why the job wasn't right, so he basically quit the workforce because he had mom to take care of him. He had his own mother that would take care of him. Now this, this man is a good, moral, Christian man, and he only has 
to look back on a short period of time with joy. He only has good memories of a short space of time in his entire life. For a period of time, for about three or four years, he led a youth group in his church. And the memories he has of the interacting with these lives of these young men and women are the only good, meaningful memories that he has in his life. He had a gift from God to serve these young people as Numbers 18.7 speaks of. He was given a gift to serve. Now he's an old man. And he can only look back upon these few short years with pleasant memories. The rest of it is just wood, hay, and stubble. But during this man's short-lived service, his parents moved and changed locations. So what did he do? He moved with them. And this took away his opportunity to serve. It took away his real purpose in life. And that is a sad epilogue. But that's just one life with just a few years of joyful service in it. Gail Irwin, some of you know Gail. He's been here several times and he spoke here and I consider him a close friend. Gail says he plays his one string guitar. And that is presenting Jesus as a servant. If you've never read the book uh, Jesus Style, highly recommend it. And he has other books, but Jesus Style is the one that he's known for. But Gail, when the last time he was here, he brought a little uh, batch of signs. And one of his signs was others. And how true. There it is. It's others. Every now and then, your pastor, that's me, I get a moment of clarity, and that's unusual, so I have to sit down and write it down. And my moment of clarity came because I'm able to serve God by serving his body of believers. I hope I never lose sight of that. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jimmy Carter, they have the world spotlight on them. You know, they call for a press conference and all the cameras show up and all of that. And it's there and they promote their good works. But their good works are tainted. They create charitable organizations. They set up trust funds. They do what they think is good for humanity. But they don't look to scripture. As far as I know, maybe Jimmy, Jimmy claims to be a Christian, but the Warren and Bill Gates, I got real concerns about their Christianity. But we as Christians have what they're looking for. We have the road map. GPS, whatever. <laughs> We have opportunities to do good to the household of faith. Romans 12.10 Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. 
in honor, giving preference to one another. We don't have to guess or suppose where we are to be charitable or where to even serve. We're to serve in brotherly love, in honor. We are to prefer one another. Now, let me get a little personal here. If we only take care of our own, our own families, our own children, in my case, my own grandkids, etc., etc., <laughs> we are only doing what the world does. That's all we're doing, because the world takes care of their own. And the world loves to tout family. You hear politicians talk about family. You hear uh, uh, psychologists talk about the, the support of a family and this kind of thing. And this is good. We are to take care of our families. Don't, don't leave here thinking I'm saying don't take care of your families. We should. But our Lord Jesus writes to us through his apostles, through his prophets, and he says, take care of my family. That's what Jesus is saying to him. Take care of my family. I've put you in a position where you can serve and be a giver. Do it. Now, God will take care of his own. He really will. And it doesn't depend on us. God will take care of his family. That's a given truth. The great question becomes, will we seize the opportunity to be part of his heart going out to his family? Sometimes we will make an excuse. Why not to serve or support fellow Christians, because we don't like the stance that they took on some doctrinal issue, so <laughs> if they think I'm going to give to them, they're out of their mind. No. We're to take care of the body of Christ. We have a little time. 